Welcome to Good Business. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to speak to Carla, the mastermind and creator of CHOMP, which is an award-winning food-saving app in Hong Kong. This app or platform is just a remarkable solution to really a massive issue, which is food waste. And what it does is it connects F&B businesses with customers through discounted meal boxes containing unsold items, which effectively reduces the amount of food that would otherwise end up in landfill. Clever, right? I loved this chat. So let's get into it. Okay, so today on the show, we have Carla Martinezzi, who is coming to us from Hong Kong, and she is the co-founder of Chomp, which is a Hong Kong-based app that I think is really such a clever idea because basically the app helps food and beverage businesses reduce food waste. And there's some fantastic stat, it's not fantastic actually, it's a terrifying stat about how much food waste there is in Hong Kong. I think it's something like 40% of all waste is food waste. Is that right? Am I getting that right or not? Yeah. No, you're right. In the landfills, exactly right. 40% of all waste is food waste. Like that is crazy. Anyway, so maybe I'll just jump in and ask Carla to share with us about the app and how does it work? Because it it sounds like such an incredible idea and such a a clever business. But yeah, Carla, welcome to the show and tell us about Chomp. No, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I've been following for a while. But yeah, so Chomp is a really brief idea that came up like two years ago in 2021. But the way that it works is that we tried to build the business to be a win-win-win solution. So to help the F&B industry in Hong Kong during COVID, but also to help the general public who had, you know, cut wages and they were going through a really hard time during COVID as well. And also good for the planet. So that was our three pillars that we wanted to help. And we came up with Chomp as a sort of solution for that. So the way that it works is once you open the app, it works like any other food ordering app. You get options of different restaurants and all of our vendors. We work with about 140 different vendors, anything from bakeries to coffee shops, even to bars. And they list at the end of the day or at the end of the lunch shift, how much food they have left over. So they might have like three salad boxes. They might have like 10 pastries. And instead of letting it go to waste, they'll put it on the app and sell it always for a discount. So when you order, you know that you're doing a good deed because you're essentially saving this food from going to waste and being thrown away, but also you're getting a really good price for it because it's always going to be discounted. And you don't know what you're going to get? Is it always a mystery box or can you know what you're going to get? No, exactly. It depends on the vendors themselves. In Chinese culture, you kind of want to know what it is. Not a big fan of surprises, but some places just so happen that they don't know what is going to be left over. So they'll create a mystery box. So you'll see it on the app. They'll say like an assortment of bread goodies, or you'll see an assortment of pastries, or it might be like a salad box with six ingredients and you won't know what it is. So it's a little specific, but kind of hinting at you might not know what you're getting, but that's how you fight food waste essentially. I mean, it's so clever. It's brilliant, brilliant idea. So tell me what's been the biggest challenge in your journey so far with Chomp? There's been quite a few. Obviously it's a new concept, which obviously makes it really hard to sort of grow. I think the sustainability angle is quite difficult in Hong Kong. It's not a very looked at or made aware, like there's a huge food waste problem. There's a huge plastic problem in Hong Kong and obviously in the world as well, but Hong Kong specifically. 
And it's hard to educate and tell people like, oh, you know, like it's an important cause, like you're doing a good deed. But that's kind of why we put such a steep discount. It's so that there is an incentive, even if you don't care about sustainability. So that's been a huge challenge that's been since day one and has continued on. And I don't think we'll ever be able to overcome it just because it's a mindset thing. And you've also had, from what I understand, a classic, you know, chicken and egg problem, which is the challenge with any marketplace, right? Because you have to attract both the chicken and the egg and, you you know, it's hard to attract, you know, what comes first. But you had to attract, what I mean by that is the F&B establishments as well as the customers at the same time. And it's hard to, it's like actually building Launchpad, our community. Like you can't sell a community without members in it first. So you actually have to have people, you know, come in and buy into your concept. So tell me, has that been a challenge for you? Yeah. I also, I think the other challenge was that I didn't know what that meant when I first started. So I just went in going, well, this is a brilliant idea. Like why would no one buy it? And and then in our first like couple of weeks since we launched, I realized, oh God, like actually, wait a minute, we need our vendors are missing users. We need more users. And so we need to try and find a way to get more users. But then when we focused on getting more users, we we're like, oh God, we're not focusing on sales. We need more restaurants. And this is an ongoing issue in the sense that like we put out surveys, we talk to our vendors and it's always like, oh, we'd love more customers. But you know, if we focus on, we're a small team of three. So if our marketing efforts are focused on getting new users, they're retracted from getting into sales. And like, as much as we split the task, the timeline is always going to be different, right? Like you could get something really cool could happen. We could be featured in in the media and then we get a spike in users, but then our vendors don't read that type of media. So they wouldn't know. And so we still need to go and like do door to door and still need to do outreach. And it won't be the same timeline. We could get more users and then it will never be parallel, but at the same time, there are some benefits here. It gives us enough time to like be strategic and to figure out like which specific vendors to put all of our efforts into, as opposed to just doing random like outreach. So yeah, pros and cons, but yes, chicken and egg, very much a big problem with no solution at all, I think. And how have you learned how to run the business? Like, have you got some mentors or advisors or... Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big job learning just how to, you know, run a business from a zero start to all of a sudden I've got customers and vendors and tech. Yeah. Oh, God. So my background's originally in F&B and my bachelor was in hospitality. So tech was not at all something that I had learned or was at all interested in. It just so happens that it is a solution to a problem that I'm familiar with. And when I was doing my bachelor, we obviously part of hospitality is like running a business. It's like running a hotel. So you learn things like financial accounting, you learn like marketing, you learn legal, like you learn all these different aspects of a business just so when it comes down to you being a general manager, you would be able to, you know, you wouldn't be like lost in the dark. Like you would sort of understand a little bit of every problem. In my mind, I was thinking, well, I could probably start something because I have some idea of accounting. I have some idea of marketing. Like it wouldn't be that hard. And I was quite naive in thinking that. And when we launched, I realized like six months in after our soft launch, it took off and we started getting featured in things and we started getting more customers. And then that's when we were like, oh shit, actually we need to start, you know, trying to put up procedures and processes and we need to clean up our tech and we need to clean up our, 
data policy. Like, what is that? We never learned that. And that's when the panic kind of sit in and we were just like, oh God, like we need to figure this out. And so I reached out to a couple of mentors. At the time they were great, but as soon as the business started scaling, like they weren't able to advise anymore. And I was conflicted in thinking, okay, am I am I allowed to go somewhere else? Like, can I ask for a different mentor or am I stuck with just one? Because I've committed and I feel like like there wasn't any exchange in like payment or anything. It was just I felt bad thinking that it, it kind of felt like a breakup. Like it was just, we had to go somewhere else. Anyway, I got approached by other mentors. I had like legal advisors who really, really helped, especially when it comes to like food and hygiene safety. It's really important that you're protected and business is protected and customers are protected. So that was a big aspect. So to this day, we have four advisors and they all do totally different things. Like one is in scaling, one is in marketing, one is specifically just for users. And like how to bring in more users, user acquisition, like customer service and all that. But that as much as you try to learn in school, it, it doesn't cover every single thing. It just covers like the surface. Oh, by the way, you should have someone in legal. By the way, you should have someone in finance. <laughs> okay. It really is a lot, isn't it? And I think the other thing I find is it's constantly changing. You know, like I just, yeah, I, I feel like that's one thing that I love about business, but it's also one of the challenges. You think you're on top of it and then a really great new tech piece comes out or the laws change or, you know, like some other some other thing gets thrown at you and, yeah, it's just a constant learning journey. So how did Chomp take off, you know, like and, and what's the success, what's the traction like today? I'm really interested because when you spoke there, it was like it was going and then it took off. So what made it change gears into a really, I suppose, a successful business? I guess there wasn't one specific thing. It was definitely a multitude of things that sort of started picking up. And then it was kind of like a curve as opposed to like one specific thing that just shot up. So when we first launched, our idea was to do a lot of pre-marketing. Now, that was something that we learned at school that it was very successful and it was it was a no-brainer. Like, if you're going to launch a business, you want to make a lot of noise, do pre-marketing. And that kind of helped our chicken and egg problem because it set us up for a waiting list and it set us up for vendors that were already going to be on the app once it launched. But that's a temporary solution because you have to maintain it. So that helped a lot. Like, we built a waiting list of 200 people once the app launched which helped garner some attention, like some attention. And then the next thing that happened was we started getting featured in different medias, like Sassy, things like Live and all these different things. And that garnered more attention. Honeycombers and big fans. <laughs> and uh, that garnered loads of attention. But the thing that really like changed and what changed our strategy as well was we signed Levan Bakery, which is a independently run bakery. They've got four locations, but they've got a huge, huge loyal customer fan base. And we didn't know this at the time, but we put in like these in-store marketing, like stickers and flyers and coupons for them. So if you were a regular customer, you could use a coupon and download the app and get the first box for free, things like that. And when we did a survey, we like 90% of the people who answered the survey said they saw us through in-store marketing. And we're like, okay, wow. Like, cause there was some, at some point, like we onboarded them onto the app and then it shot up and they got really popular really fast. We were wondering what happened. There wasn't any answer until the survey. Then we joined incubators. So like we were under new world development. So that garnered attention and it gave us a little bit of credibility as well. 
And then we were part of Cyberport. But then I think the other thing that happened this year was being featured in, in even more media, which we didn't even expect at all. It was things like Tatler, things like STMP, and even local media. Like, And that helped a lot boost. And then we signed Flash Coffee, then we signed Maxims, and then it became a lot more traction. So that really helped. And then we started going to like events and they were like, oh, we know Chomp. Oh, I have the app. Like, And they were showing us our phones. And it was a very like full circle moment type thing. Yeah. So I wouldn't say one moment. It was very much like different moments that helped push the needle. And yeah. And how many users do you have today? So we have 9,000 users. I'm hoping by the end of the year, it'll be a good 10,000 and plus. And we have 140 vendors. So far, we've rescued just over 4,000 boxes of food from going to waste. I'm estimating it's about a kilo for each order. So it would be an average about 8,000 kilos of CO2 that's saved from emitting into our atmosphere. So yeah, so that's about, that's less than two years. So we're hoping it'll escalate a little bit more next year. Wow. That's really cool. So what is next? Like, have you got international markets on the agenda? We've been approached by a few different investors to see if we can go to Singapore would be the closest market to Hong Kong. And then Australia would be the next one. But the problem is I've never been to Australia, so I wouldn't know anything about it. But I've been told that there's a huge sustainability culture, that they're very into their their big foodies, so it would work well. But I don't know the market well enough and it's a little scary. So that would be next, probably maybe not in the near future, but in the future for sure. The goal of Chomp is to expand into a solution that's sort of like 360. So if you were in school, you would have a solution, like maybe it works in your canteens. If you're in universities, if you were working in a corporate office and you had a pantry or a canteen there, it would work there. Airlines as well, like things, an area that has food, maybe not necessarily like an F&B industry in there exactly, but to make Chomp a solution that would work anywhere that has food would be the goal. So hopefully next year. It's a massive application, isn't it? It's a massive opportunity for you. So have you taken investment? So we took a little bit at the beginning to launch our MVP. So the first version of our app, we took about 500K and that was from friends and family. And then the rest has been things like accelerators, grants and government grants have helped a lot. So Hong Kong has a big $6 billion budget that's given to startups and you have to do loads of loads of hours of applications for it, but it's grants for marketing, grants for uh, technology and So yeah, so we've been floating by with that. (laughs) Yeah. And so is fundraising on the cards for you? Is that something that you're looking at? Yeah, definitely. I think we're at a point where we can. I think at the beginning, we were way too green, way too young. But even I was thinking that I was way too naive and I still didn't know a lot of things. And we had just launched our MVP and I was thinking like, you know, we need to show that there's people who like, like using the app and vendors that actually like, we need some data to show and I think just as we launched, it was too early. I think now we're at a point where we can. So I started pitching a little bit last month and it's going to take a while. So I've been told to actually get the ball rolling. So I'm crossing my fingers that it'll be beginning of next year, hopefully. Yeah, cool. It's quite a journey, isn't it? One thing I wanted to touch on is you decided not to offer delivery services in an attempt to maintain your sustainability principles. I find that really interesting. So how do you balance the need for convenience with, you know, I suppose it's like the the customer needs versus your 
I suppose, sustainability goal needs? Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, this has been a huge like internal debate or external as well, I guess, amongst friends, amongst stakeholders about whether or not this is a good idea. I'm super open to change it if we manage to find a way to make sustainable delivery or because Hong Kong doesn't have that many delivery options that are sustainable. Like they'll, I mean, Uber Eats pulled out, but a lot of them are on scooters or motorbikes. So it's not that eco-friendly. So because the carbon emissions that you offset by ordering on Chomp is small, you would basically counter it with by getting it delivered, which a lot of people don't know about, but it's more of a question of like, do we advertise that? Do we draw attention to it? Or do we say it's pickup only and leave it at that? There are many benefits, like the majority of our vendors, I should say, prefer pickup because it means that the customer comes to the store, they get to interact with the staff. Chances are they'll probably order something else because they're there or they'll see their favorite item, but it's not in the order. So they prefer it that way. But obviously you're right, like customers want convenience, especially in a city like Hong Kong, that's convenience is everything. So it's been a big debate and I'm still on the fence about whether or not this was the right decision, or if we should switch to a sustainable delivery model, like maybe it's just walkers and the radius is much smaller. But then again, it would require a lot of investment. It would change the app itself. It might even include a third version of the app where you would have just for delivery mode, like for delivery drivers or delivery riders or delivery walkers. So yeah, so it definitely has, I wouldn't say impacted, but I definitely will say that it's it's a question that we get a lot because there are some people who want to order from Kowloon side and they want to order something in Central, but it's even on other competitors like or other apps like Food Panda and Deliveroo, like you wouldn't even be able to deliver that far anyway. But yeah, so it's been a bit of a debate. We do have some vendors on the app who do offer delivery, but it's charged on surplus, like uh, not surplus, it's surcharged. There we go. <laughs> in addition, so you would have to basically make another payment offline to that vendor just so that they can organize a delivery for you. So I don't know. Mm. It's a really big challenge, isn't it? This is like a a question of sustainability ethics and what you're trying to achieve versus what the customer wants. And I I can see that you've, you know, you're still working through it. What advice do you have for people that are looking at these kind of challenges in their business? Like what's helped you? I think... Also, your own personal values are quite important here. I think it's quite easy for you to get lost in numbers and get lost in, especially when you're dealing with so many customers and they all have their own opinion. It's quite easy to get swayed into like, yes, 100% listen to a customer and try to figure out how to solve that problem. But if all of them are giving, let's say, like life advice to you, let's say every person you ever knew is giving you life advice at some point they're all going to be different advices and you can't take them all. You've only got the one life and it would be impossible to take like a hundred different advices on how to live your life. So we try to accommodate as many times as possible, but there's definitely things like delivery is is really hard to to figure out. And some people like it and some people don't like it. And we did a survey for about 300 people, like our most frequent users, and all of them, like a hundred percent said they didn't want delivery. And it was because, and I didn't think of this, but it was because the price of the boxes can be so low that if you had delivery, it would be almost double. So for example, a minimum charge would be $20 for delivery. Some of the boxes you can find on the app are $20. 
you would be basically paying two boxes for having it delivered. So it's a bit conflicting. So I think my advice would be, yes, take advice from others. And obviously we have mentors, we have people like customers who we think about and we listen to, but at some point, end of the day, it will be a decision that you make and that you have to live with. And it needs to be something that you're okay with. And if not, you're very proud of and you can stick by it for a long period of time. Like mentors come and go, customers could move away, they could change, they could whatever. And you would have to have made a decision that you like and you're able to stick by. So I think when it comes down to it, be okay with what you've decided and stick by it. I love that color. And I think it's interesting as an entrepreneur, particularly as a young entrepreneur, you do seek out so much advice because I think you often think people would know better than me. People have done this before. People have grown big businesses. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right in that you have to live with your decisions. You have to be proud of what you've created and what you've done and only you know your true values and only you will know if it's right or wrong. Yeah? Exactly right. I think like at at the end of the day, you have to go to bed knowing that that's your life, right? And you need to be okay with it. And if you go to bed thinking you've made a mistake like all the time, it's no way to live. Yeah. It's so interesting and it's such an important conversation because, you know, I suppose that's kind of what this podcast is all about. It's like, you can have a business, but why choose to just have a business when you can actually have a business that does more than make money? It can actually, you know, drive change or educate or reduce waste. But, you know, like, I just think people don't think big enough sometimes on what they can do with their lives and what they can do with their business. And, Yeah, you know, you only get one shot. You only get one life, right? You've got to kind of make the most of it and go to bed feeling really happy with your choices. I think that's a really, it's a very important piece that we don't really talk about that much, really. I don't know about you, but a lot of people I've met in Hong Kong have had multiple startup businesses. Like it may not be their first venture. It might be their second or third, or they might've worked at a startup and then started their own. So they already are in the groove of things and they know, maybe they already know like where they want they want to go and like how to run the business already. But for people like me who've never done it before and are struggling with being conflicted with so many different opinions and decisions, and you do end up with like decision fatigue and you do end up with like, being really tired of listening to so many people and going, okay, well, I'm a little bit stuck too because they're all people I value and they're all people that I really care for. And my entire business depends on this. I'm not sure, like, does it or does it not? Yeah, it's something that comes up a lot and it's it's tough, but I don't think it's impossible. Like, Yeah, I think it is really tough. And I do think decision fatigue is a real thing. Like when you're constantly the decision maker, everyone looks to you all the time. So what are we going to do? I'm always like, well, what would what would you think we should do? <laughs> you're right. At the end of the day, the buck kind of stops with you as the business owner and you do need to feel good about the decisions you make. Yeah. Also on that note is, like you said, everyone's looking at you, but it's also people who maybe are not linked to you in any way. Like maybe, for example, I had been following your emails for a long time, but we we had never met. So I already had an impression of like your business and who you were because I had been following, but you probably had no idea who I was because I was just another subscriber. But 
the way that you write and the way that you use your language and the way that you act is, has made an impression on me. But even though it's like so second degree, the things that you decide to do, like make an impact on everyone else and how they view, like maybe it's you and your business and that decides whether or not like I join, I join Launchpad or like I read Honeycombers and it's even like our small business. If I do something and like, let's say I make a video and I post on social media, like it will be a judgment from our followers on like what kind of person I am or, and that also has a huge impact, but you don't see this because you're totally on one side and it's a little terrifying, but also it shows that like it speaks volumes that like, even if you make a decision, like so many people are watching, it's a little scary. But at the same time, it helps knowing that it needs to be an important decision or you need to make an important decision because all these people rely on you, whether it's your staff or your customers or your followers, things like that. That's what I've seen. That's quite terrifying. No, <laughs> not intentional. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I find really interesting is even with this podcast, I produce it and put it out there and I, I look at the numbers as to how many people are listening, but it really strikes me very deeply when I meet a stranger and they kind of like, yeah, I, I know you, I listen to your podcast because I'm like, I feel like these chats are so intimate. And I think that's one of the reasons I love podcasting because it is such a conversation that we're sharing with people, but you do show so much about yourself and it is a very, it's an intimate conversation about your business or your numbers and what keeps you up at night and how, you know, how you problem solve. Like it's all, it's fundamental how you build a brand as well. You know, like I believe good brands are based on people that are honest and vulnerable and care and will let people into their world to see it warts and all. So I appreciate you coming on today and sharing, Carla. It's really great problem that you have. And I think you're doing, I think you've made all the right decisions so far. I really look forward to helping you on your journey with Singapore and Australia because that's the neck of the woods I know really well. So I'm in your corner and very happy to have you as a, a new member to Launchpad. And I think you'll find that community will be fantastic for your business because you're right in that sustainability is not really, I suppose, a big movement in Hong Kong yet. It's bigger in Singapore and it's much, much bigger in Australia. So I think the opportunity, if you can do Hong Kong, which you have, like the opportunity for Trump's enormous elsewhere. So I'm really excited to see where you go. Oh, thank you. Hope so. Crossing fingers. Don't cross fingers. I I know it. I know it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Carla, for joining us today. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. That was super fun. Thanks so much for listening. What a delightful interview that was with Carla. I have one big takeaway and I hope you guys are going to take this away too. At the end of the day, as the decision maker and the leader of your company or business, you have so many people giving you advice. But at the end of the day, the decision has to come back to your values and your principles and you have to be able to sleep at night. And when you have a business, it really is your opportunity to not just create a company that makes money, but a company that you're so fundamentally proud of because of your values and your ethical standards and your principles. 
So I hope you loved that episode. Please let me know. Drop me an email at chris at the launchpad.group if you have any feedback. I absolutely love hearing from our listeners. And if you found this episode helpful, please be sure to leave a review or give us a rating. Finally, if you're interested to join our community of conscious entrepreneurs that are purpose-led and supportive, please come and check us out at www.thelaunchpad.group. And finally, I just wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of which I'm recording this podcast, which is the Iraqwal people of the Bundjalung Nation. It's been a really heavy, sad time in Australia over the recent weeks, and I, my heart really does go out to all First Nations people, and I deeply respect the elders of their community, past, present, and future. And I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Thanks again for tuning in to Good Business. My name's Chris Edwards, and that's all for today. 